This is an ABC podcast. I look forward to leading a government that makes Australians proud. This election didn't just change a government, it was a green slide. Safe Liberal seat, two-term incumbent, independent. We need to go back to our values, our principles, look closely at what has happened. Our policies will be squarely aimed at the forgotten Australians in the suburbs across regional Australia. Hello and welcome to The Party Room. I'm Patricia Carvellis and we're joining you from the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people. And in the studio with me is Fran Kelly. Also here happily on the lands of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people in the studio, even more happily with you, PK. Super happy in yep. Parliament House. And soon there's going to be a crowded little studio because Phil Curry, Chief Political Correspondent with the Australian Financial Review, will join us here in this little room. First though, PK, the 47th Parliament is off and racing. And actually, I think that's a pretty good description of how it's been this week. The new PM has said, you know, I'm not going to waste a day. And he's unleashed 18 pieces of legislation this first setting week. What can we say about this new government? You've had a ringside seat here in Pali all week. If we just look at the first bills off the rank, I think the first one was aged care. Yeah, I think it says everything about the priorities of, of this new government. So it sought to really focus its attention on some core labour issues, including the treatment of the elderly and taking action, for instance, after the Royal Commission, saying that the previous government had not done enough on the Aged Care Royal Commission's recommendations. And so to to prioritise that is is a signal. Uh, Also, 10 days of domestic violence leave for uh, all, any Australian suffering it, but it is, as we know, know, because of gender-based violence, disproportionately women. Um, So that's another element, uh, getting rid of the cashless welfare cart and the big one, of course, the climate change legislation. These are all signature issues of this government. And yes, you're right. I've had a ringside, um, you know, front row seat as journalists love to have. And I've got to see just the focus of the new government. It is a busy agenda. Uh, Obviously, they love to tell us it's 18 pieces of legislation to paint a picture of a very busy administration that's very serious about what it wants to do. Getting on with running the country. That's right. I mean, because that was a constant criticism of the Morrison government was that they had an empty agenda, really. Mm. It it was a suggestion they had so few sitting weeks last last year because they basically had not much... To do. Well, it's true. Before the 2019 election, if we could go a little into history, there wasn't much of an agenda. It was the big criticism. And then the pandemic hit and that kept them very busy. Yeah. But it was very much in that emergency management mode. This government has got all these plans and we've known about them. They were promises in the election. And so this week has been about prioritising them and framing the debate around their issues think it's been actually a quite a good week for the new government. I mean, you'd expect that. They're still in the honeymoon period. That's how they describe it, even privately to me. They know that. But, mm. but still, it's been a good week. Uh, they're facing, though, a huge set of tasks, which we're going to get into. Let's talk about the 43% emissions reduction target by 2030. The government introduced this bill into the lower house on Wednesday, and we'll probably have a vote on that next week. They want to get it through the lower house, then it goes obviously to the Senate process. They did alter it to include some suggestions from their good faith, as they described them, mm. discussions with the crossbench, mainly the Greens, who have a huge stake in, in you know crucial votes. Because, as Chris Bowen describes, the coalition has dealt themselves out of this, and I think he's right on that. And, and he's also kind of opened up making more explicit the target that was a flaw 
floor and not a ceiling. So it, look, I actually think it's kind of minor change, to be honest. But either way, making it more explicit that you can ratchet it up in the future. And Chris Bowen even flagged more ambitious 2035 target, including um, trying to go further. He says they're never going to go lower. It's always about going further. So some small concessions, but not on the big things. Yeah, some small concessions, but concessions in a bill that actually didn't do much. They didn't need it. So they, they made some concessions and made things clearer. I think that's good. The crossbench and the Greens nailing the government's feet to the floor a bit on it. It was really interesting, I thought, to see the climate change minister, Chris Bowen, and the Greens leader, Adam Bank, get down to business as an indicator of how this key relationship, really, with the Greens might develop in this parliament. Both started out drawing their own lines in the sand. In the end, Chris Bowen started to sound a little more conciliatory, you know, talking about sensible adjustments, certainly sounding more conciliatory than his leader. Anthony Albanese, of course, um, some describe him as a Greens hater. So this is going to be interesting to watch this relationship. But then, you know, the big shift came when the Greens leader came under a fair bit of pressure from a swag of environmental groups. He came out and praised the government for agreeing to some changes. And when asked if his toughest demand of no new coal and gas projects, you know, were they a deal breaker? That was the shift. He said they're not a deal breaker. And that was really the shift that signalled Labor had done enough to get the bill through the Parliament and through the Senate. Although, as you've said, that Senate vote won't happen till the processes go through. That'll probably be September. A month is a long time in politics. Oh, it's such a long time in politics. So I'm not not calling it done and dusted um, because that would be crazy. But I do think it's moving in the right direction in terms of consensus in some place where the Greens continue to kind of make their points. It's not ambitious enough. But ultimately, I can't see them voting against it at this stage based on the rhetoric that we've heard, including this, because I asked Adam Bant on RM Breakfast this week if the government's refusal to include the measure to create a moratorium on new gas and coal projects would be, you know, the deal breaker, as you just mentioned. This was his answer. Look, we're not approaching this discussion with um, ultimatums. We're uh, happy to put everything on the table and um, we'll continue to have those discussions in good faith. So that's the Greens leader, Fran. While this could be a point of contention, it does seem the Greens are still open to supporting the legislation while also using it as a political point that they will continue to prosecute, to be clear, post this vote. Yeah, I mean, in their mind, politically, perhaps they've come to the conclusion that they win both ways in the sense that they're taking this strong stand publicly, that they want more and that Labor's, you know, sending cross messages. How can you look at decarbonising the environment and lowering emissions while you're still allowing new gas and coal? So that's the the broadcast message that they'll take right through through to the election campaign. Adam Bant obviously hoping the Greens can build on what he calls the green slide of the last election, maybe steal some more votes away from Labor next time, but at the same time not putting themselves in the position where they've really paid a pretty heavy price for since 2009 when they sided with the opposition and voted down the CPRS. As I mentioned, we've got these environment groups coming out and saying, don't do that this time. We've lost too many years to that. The climate wars were unleashed from that point. They've never calmed. This is the chance. I think they've heard that message. You mentioned Peter Dutton and the opposition dealing themselves out of the of the game, which is a strange position to take, you would think, so definitively, given the clobbering they got in those inner city seats in Melbourne and Sydney that from the Teals Independence and Perth, you know, largely over climate. Why did they do this? It's still not clear to me where the votes are that they're going to pick up through this. And I thought it was interesting that Liberal MP Bridget Archer, one of the few moderates left in that party room after the last election, made it clear to you, I think, PK, on our 
RM Breakfast this week that she is basically bound for crossing the floor. The Libs, they still haven't discussed in their party room, but they all seem to be gathering, apart from Bidget Archer, behind, and, uh, behind and, their leader. And Senator Andrew Bragg came on our own breakfast. We're recording this on a Thursday, on Thursday morning too, um, talking about the Senate committee that will be looking at the bill and saying he wanted to you know, look at the economic evidence. But really, what he's signalling is firstly, he reserves his right to cross the floor in the Senate still. Yeah. And also... Well, they all have that right, right, so that's not that courageous. But he's saying it. Yeah. And also that he will try and use this report to try and pressure his own side that there is an economic case for doing this. Yeah, I thought that was interesting too, a sort of a sense from him that he would like business to carry the case more loudly. In other words, come on business, get on board, get behind this, and then it'll be harder for the Liberal Party to vote against it. But we'll see. Peter Dutton has been absolutely definitive. That's right, and he's got the numbers in the party room and the party room has changed after the loss of many moderates. And PK, you mentioned some of the bills that the government's bringing in or has brought in and that says something about their agenda and about their values and that they want to project as the kind of government they'll be. But Anthony Albanese made much of, before the election and since being elected, of a new kind of politics. And he had to do that in a sense after election night because he got delivered a big fat crossbench in the lower house and... Uh, quite a big fat crossbench in the Senate as well. So there's going to be more collaboration needed. But are you seeing signs of a, a different kind of politics? I notice they keep talking about being the adults in the room. What they do you reckon? Li- they like being called the adults in the room. And they use the language again to contrast from the previous government. Interestingly, uh, first question time that I went to, so I can make a judgment on that. Look, it didn't look that different to the last question times in terms of, you know, government MPs, front benches getting up, spooking their own policy and then bagging the opposition. That was what we used to hear. There was a few differences. You get three questions from the crossbench rather than the one. Okay, that's a difference. So far, we've only had the sort of old crossbenches, like Bob Catter asked questions that we haven't seen the new ones yet, but they will. They'll get their turn. That's how it works. The tone was, well, I was underwhelmed, I'll be honest. I was underwhelmed I don't, I don't entirely it. blame the government. I blame kind of, well, everyone. I mean, I just think politics sounded a little bit like it always has. Yeah. Now, I'm not sure that's what Anthony Albanese was talking about when he said it was going to be a new kind of politics. I think it was more the collaboration he's talking about. And as I say, that's been sort of forced upon him, really, because of how the parliament looks. But yeah, I was sitting watching... Um, question time from home, as you do. And um, <laughs> uh, particularly when the Dorothy Dixes they all stood up and said, you know, what's the policy or some, you know, it sounded snoozy, it didn't sound dynamic, it didn't sound that electric to me. And then, of course, we, you know, we get into the sledging. That's perhaps no surprise, but we'll see. It's early days. Very early. It's infancy, this new parliament. Should we bring our guest in? Let's do it. <laughs> Phil Curry is Chief Political Correspondent for the Australian Financial Review. Welcome to the party room. Oh, thank you for having me again. Phil, so good to be squashed in here with you all. Um, Phil, PK and I were just talking about the approach of this new parliament, the Albanese government. Uh, keep saying they're going to do politics differently, you know, with the adults in the room, right. with the grown-ups. You, like PK, have been in question time. You've watched a close-up. Did you, you've seen a lot of new governments. Did you notice any, anything different? Uh, no, not one thing. No, not one no, thing? No, only, only the bemused expressions on the new people, <laughs> especially the teals going, you know, what, what have we done? <laughs> you know, how do we can do this? No, look... <laughs> Look, as I've said many times, you know, there's all, things should always be civil, but <clears throat> but this place is always going to be combative, and and you can sort of tell from um, you know the first question times that the libs 
aren't going to sort of sit there and feel sorry for themselves. They're, they're going to sort of come out swinging and uh, and 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 Labor's ready for that. And uh, but it's going to be every bit as combative as it was, you know, before. I mean, uh, the thing I the thing I really noticed there's this wonderful moment on. Tuesday when they were doing the swearing in, I don't know if you saw it, but when all the teals were sworn in, so they yeah. came up to the and there was eight independents and they were all women. You know, as Monique Ryan. It and, was. I was watching on the yeah, TV. Yeah. It was really it fa- was, fabulous was, imagery. Yeah, really. but it was this wonderful moment because I was sitting just above the speaker's head, and they they were beaming. Yeah, you know, their eyes were. They all had masks on, but they were all looking at each other, going, "How good is this?" Yeah, you know, and it was just this wonderful moment of sort of purity that, you know, sort of reminds you that. People still come into this building for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah, they absolutely. were so excited and proud of themselves. But then straight afterwards, we went into the election of the speaker, and uh, yeah, and there was this, this complete charade about why Milton Dick was the speaker. Now Milton's a good guy, and he's going to be a good speaker. So far, so good, actually. So yeah, far, yeah, so good. Yeah. I thought. But the reason Milton Dick was the speaker was because he's it was a deal done in the right, right? It was nothing to do with merit, right? Yeah. <laughs> but then the parliament goes through this whole charade about you know his dad was in the navy and then I don't know why he should be speaker. And I was just thinking nothing ever changes. You know, it's just it's, it's just, just a fact. It's, it's a factual. It's a factual deal. Yeah, yeah. So it's but anyway, all, it is always a. It was a nice juxtaposition. I thought. Yeah. yeah. So look, hmm. you know, huge cross bench, as we say, the more questions from the cross bench, yeah. for instance. There are That's diff- a good move. That is, it is. That well, is good they have move. to do it proportionally. They, they rode more, so yep. it's just, yeah. And, yeah. and, and s- they've had meetings with the cross bench hmm. where they've Which been they've really... appreciated. Hmm. They've been bringing them in a bit, right? Look, there's a much better vibe around. I think there's a sense of excitement I haven't seen with a new... If there's anything different, there's a, there's a lot more diversity around the building. You know, not, not Holy just, dooly, yeah, yes. Not just gender, but also um, yeah, ethnicity. Yes, and stuff. absolutely. It's actually starting to look a bit more like a, a slice of society uh, than, than this sort of all-white male, um, female thing. So it just feels a bit more, you know, ebullient and... Vibrant. Well, and you can see it on the television yeah, too. If yeah, you look at Labor's yeah. cross bench, you can yeah. see it writ large. Yeah. And cross bench Labor. And, Al- Labor. Yeah. and Albanese's no dill, and, and he knows he, he needs to sort of foster of that and that goodwill, and even though he doesn't need the independent numerically, it, hey, look, it's in his interest politically to keep the teals in those seats because the longer they're there, he stays in government. Hard to get a majority without those seats. Exactly. So he, look, you can see it on the climate change bill. They're going to talk to them. They're, they're consulting them on the um, integrity commission. All the issues on which they campaigned, he's giving them a sense of ownership, even though he doesn't need to. So they can go back to the electorate and say, "I contributed to this," and that's that's clever politics. But it also will sort of engender that sort of you know. Uh, that mood he's trying to get around the building. A more collaborative mm. style. Mm. A lot that's not different. All mm. the sledging continued in question time. Yeah. Peter Dutton, opposition leader, mm. nailed his colours to the mast early on, you know, taking a stand against Labor's 43% mm. target. They're not going to vote for that bill. The PK and I have been talking about, they've dealt themselves out of that. Mm. What can we tell so far at this early stage about the Dutton opposition and the messages and the, the lessons they've taken from the election loss? Well, I, I think there's a couple of lessons they haven't taken. And I think the main one is um, they haven't showed any contrition since they lost. They haven't come out and said, we got some things wrong. I know the government thinks that's a big mistake. When you get hounded out of government the way they did, you should come out and say, look, we're, we're going to heed the lessons of this. I mean, none of that. So it's a very sort of defiant style from it's Dutton. It's really yeah. odd. Yeah. Now, I'm not underestimating anyone. A lot of people underestimated Anthony Albanese. Didn't think he'd become prime. I wouldn't and, and, underestimate Peter Dutton. I'm not underestimating Peter. He's a very good political operative, Dutton. Even the, even the moderates who have their noses out of joint about what he did on climate by making that unilateral decision before having a party room meeting 
they quite like him. They're quite happy with the direction. I spoke to some people who were, were veterans of when they last lost government in 2007, and they said it feels a lot, because back then it was this miserable sort of wallowing, and you had Brendan Nelson became leader, and Turnbull immediately started undermining him, and it was just yeah. 18 months of horror. But, but they said there's none of that this time. There, there's at least a clarity about things, whether you agree with it or not. So there's that, also no that, alternative. That's right. Well, that's, that's a consequence of that. But you had Josh Frydenberg kept his seat. He'd I been, think it'd be been taken out. Yeah, but, yeah. but, yeah, as it, have but, they learned their lesson? Well, have they learned their lesson? I mean, let's look mm. at evidence-based. Mm. They've got some evidence. They had some evidence mm. delivered to them. You've Big been time. writing this, yeah. um, mm. you know, about a post-mortem, what mm. the data shows. What does it show and what are they well, taking out of that? I think, yeah, to his credit, they had a big... Um, all day seminar on Monday, uh, all the Liberal MPs, and they, you know, they had John Howard and Tony Abbott and Manta Vanstone address them in the afternoon, and uh, and they were going to get Helen McCabe, former Women's Weekly editor, in, but she got COVID. So, <laughs> but yeah, you know, so he was. Let's talk about women. Let's talk about how we pick ourselves up. Let's not wallow in defeat. But in the morning, both Andrew Hurst, the federal director, and Tony Barry's deputy director in Victoria, now works with Redbridge Polling. They look like about it three-hour session in the morning where they ran through focus group polling and stuff like that. And no surprise, uh, it basically found that the Liberal Party has lost a lot of its base. What happened at the last election, that basically people under 50 or 60 just don't connect with it in terms of values and uh, and concerns. People or women? Or well, all sorts. It's quite they, uh, broad, right? Broad. Well, I mean, predominantly women, obviously. I didn't see a gender breakdown, but you can tell. I think the women think the election was more about Scott Morrison than the Liberal Party as such. And, you know, issues like climate change and, you know, the, the renters have left them. And uh, Tim Wilson raised this in his book. Uh, he wrote a good book, Tim Wilson, a, a couple of years ago when he, he said we've got to get rid of some of these taxes, like capital gains tax exemptions, because he said the Liberals' conservative base are homeowners and we have fewer people owning homes. And this came up in this research, you know, that conservatives don't feel conservative when they have nothing to conserve. Uh, so so there's these demographic shifts, which are also sort of pulling voters away from the Labor Party. And, and all this was... And that Redbridge work is really mm. key because, mm. it, you know, it shows, for instance, in seats like Higgins, like mm. massive kind of apartment Apartments that yeah. have been built Kuyong. since, yep, yeah. and and, yeah. and all those people are renters, yeah, exactly. and they are renters. grumpy, and they're not voting conservative. The interesting thing about the research too is. There's also a lot of warnings there for Labor too, you know, in terms of the major parties. Remember, they only got 32.5% on election day and it just happened to fall in the right seat. So there's a lot in there about the threats from the Teals. It's not going to be a one-off sort of thing, you know, movement. They're very sophisticated movement. They're, they understand what they're doing. They're organised. So, you know, sort of troubles ahead for both major parties, but, you know, more so for the one that's in opposition in terms of clawing their way back. Now, let's move to mm. the big economic mm. statement that will be delivered. We're recording this Thursday morning. It will be delivered officially very Mm-hmm. shortly and people will know about it by the time they listen to this podcast. But on the broader themes, inflation rose by 6.1% on Wednesday, which is the highest level in 21 years. I don't have to tell people that. They know because they shop. They have to feed their children. You know. Um, it's alarming, actually. Like, just two oh, items and you're like, what? 20 bucks. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. In fact, it hasn't been that high since the GST was introduced. Here's the, what the Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, had to say off the back of the rise. So these are confronting numbers when it comes to uh, the cost of living pressures that Australians in every corner of our country are feeling. Uh, Inflation is high and rising. Uh, It will get tougher uh, before it starts to ease. Now, we've heard a fair bit of that from mm. the Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, mm. since the election. We're going to hear more of it in the next little while. You know, talking about the increasing strain off the back of rising inflation. Phil, the Treasurer's approach to economic challenges has been to be open about the difficulties people are, are facing. The Shadow Treasurer, Angus Taylor, says, well, he's got to do more than paint a picture of mm. despair and hardship. Yeah. He's got to come up with a plan. 
fair point, but timing is everything in politics. How do you think the new Treasurer's pitch is working for the government? Look, I think it's... Because he's so articulate, Jim, I think it's working, but I, I think Angus Taylor also has a point. There's a time time limit on being a, a doomsayer in terms of forecast and what they're going to do about it, especially as they were so critical before the election of, 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 of the former government about all the things they were blaming them for. They're now saying... This is beyond our control. So they, it's they still kind a... of jarring when I hear it because, of yeah. course, just tell me not that many weeks ago, yeah. you know, the, the other lot were yeah, it was their economy yeah, and yeah, these yeah, were their yeah. problems. So it's still jarring. Yeah. But I think you're right. Yeah. I think I, I think do... it will bite the plan. Yeah, thing. that sort of begins with the budget in October. As you said, friend, timing is everything, and they're, they're building to a process here. So what they're doing, they're they're saying, look, it's worse than we thought. And, and they are correct in terms of inflation was only meant to be four and a quarter percent. Mm. That was the last prediction. That's going to be north of seven. North of seven, yeah, seven, seven said to you be about, Yeah, it be about eight or something today. So they've got to create the situation. Then they're going to have a budget in October where they're going to fund all their election promises and nothing more. And, and they're going to find more cuts than they promised they would. It's not just the rorts, but they're looking at manufacturing grants and some of these Morrison programs. But then more importantly, next year, they're going to they're going to re- do another intergenerational report. And that's that thing that's only meant to come out every five years. And it looks 40 years ahead in terms of what things cost. They're going to, there's only one a year ago, they're going to do another one. And that's going to be the real scary one, you know, massive debt deficit, the cost of social programs. Then there'll be a budget in May. And what he's building up to is taking mean stuff to the next election, mm-hmm. right? So they're going to... They're Maybe gonna... cutting stationary tax cuts? Well, they might. I, I reckon that's a 50-50 proposition yeah, where they too. go ahead. Um, but again, that's a decision you don't need to make now because they don't start for two years. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, is what I he like... said when, when the Greens leader asked yeah. him in All these people time. saying spend the money now, well, the money's not going to be spent for two years. Yeah. So it's a... do, you but... think, do you think it's a 50-50 proposition? Oh, I, don't, I don't know. I think it's hard to it's I hard think to if tell. this case keeps building... Yeah, yeah. Uh, if the... we're, and we're broke. And uh, it just it'll depend on the economic circuit. It's a big promise to break, though. That's what I think. And, and you've got to remember, too, those tax cuts start at 40000 yeah. Adam Bant runs around saying it's for Clive Palmer. But you can ameliorate it, right? Yeah, just cap it or do whatever. And Labor looked at capping it when they were in opposition yeah. when they were trying to amend it. Mm. So I, I, I just think if they go through in their current state, I don't think it's a full guarantee. But but I think it's more things like wealth. Yeah, they're going to come after super taxes again. Yeah, they won't do franking credits again, but they're going to look at those tax perks. You know, I, I think they're just going to have to. And Chalmers indicated this in an interview he did with us about six weeks ago. So I think this, what we're seeing today, is the start of a process and, uh, towards and fixing the budget. Building a case. Yeah, he's building, building a case. case, but mm. he's also trying to build in hope. I mean, he's saying very yes. clearly inflation's going up, but it'll come yes. down. And most starkly, I, I was struck by what he said about real wages growth in this terms of par- parliament. Mm. I mean, to me, that is a very courageous minister to be making well, that kind of prediction. <laughs> well, it was a big election promise, though. Well, yeah, but he's sticking to it. So yeah, he's saying he <laughs> what that means is he's saying inflation's going to come down enough and mm. wages are going to grow enough. Hello, they haven't grown for no. a while, you know, to, 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 ma- to, to put to people in the black, yeah. which... At the same as time as unemployment is rising. I'm just wondering yeah. if that promise, which is, you know, making very strongly at the moment, mm. might come back to bite him in the same way as former bosses, well, you know, Wayne Swan always regretted saying we will get surpluses. Well, like, oh, this is such a fundamental part of their campaign. Everything's going up except your wages. Yeah, so, but real wages yeah. growth. I mean, you, you could fudge that a bit. You could have oh, said wages will go up. But but that's the same thing if, if, if inflation's rising higher than your wages. But I, I assume he, he's got some sort of long-range forecasts. You know, the Treasury's probably telling him, look, by an 18 months' time, inflation should be back to around three or four. And, yeah, unemployment is so low. It's three and a half, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You'd have to think at some stage that generates some wage pressure. So he's really, We've been waiting. Yeah, I know. Well, we've but, been but, waiting but, and but, more yeah. people are going to come in. But they're, rely, they're, they're clearly relying on that, right? So... Mm. Um, 
Yeah, well, look, he's made he's made the call. He's going to have to follow it through. But um, the other thing, the other reason he's saying it too, Fran, I suspect, is because um, as inflation rises, going to spark this clamour of wage cases. And he, and he said that last week. He said, yeah. "Look, we can't chase, we can't keep chasing this inflation with wage hikes." And he said on Friday, "It's going to go to seven or so, but then it's going to come down. So don't chase." He's seven. going to say it again Otherwise, today, you, I think, you, in you, the parliament. You're going to wipe out business. Yeah. Look, before we bid you farewell, I think it's important that we talk about what's happening next in mm. terms of the Prime Minister's agenda. He'll be making his way to Gama mm. um, and that is, for those who don't know, in the Northern Territory in Arnhem Land, a huge Indigenous festival, the biggest in the country. What biggest thinkers go, Prime Ministers go, mm. uh, the Olnu present kind of their ideas about the way that they want their culture, language respected and the Prime Minister's going and he'll be delivering a very significant speech on the Saturday. He, of course, is committed to constitutional recognition in the form of a voice to parliament. Mm. This is a really pivotal moment mm. because they're trying to build momentum around getting work done here. I wonder what your thoughts are about how they're progressing on this, Phil, and the government trying to put some... I know that, for instance, mm. ministers have told me they've been told we don't want you talking about anything else on Friday and over the weekend. Mm. This is an Indigenous focus because mm. we need to build, you know, the I, case yeah, for change. The approach is really good and I like the way Albanese has taken control of it. I mean, yep. how many times have we had this promise oh. about constitutional recognition? Julia Gillard, remember, was going to happen, then Abbott promised, and it, and it all got John too... John Howard promised John, constitutional. Yeah. That's where it started. <laughs> it, it all got too hard. You know, then Turnbull said, oh, you know, so it needs to be driven by the Prime Minister. And he's and, doing and it he's, at every and, point, and, and, isn't he? And, yeah, they made it a central part of the Governor-General's speech on Tuesday opening, mm -hmm. and Albanese talks about it at, at every occasion. It's, it, it, you can tell it actually means a lot to him to get this done. And we know how hard it is to get referendums up in this country. You know, it's just they, they so often fail. So he's, you know, he hasn't just flicked it to his minister to drive the process. He's he's driving this himself and bringing the imprimatur of his office to it. So that's a good thing. I mean, it's the most harmless, well-meaning thing in the world is to do this. I mean, I don't often state a personal opinion, but just for the life of me, I can't see why you. Sort of like if not now, when? <laughs> well, and why really? not? You know, it's, it's a, actually it's such a good gesture. And, it's, a, it's also yeah, quite yeah, a, yeah, I believe. Yeah, I'm going to say yeah. it because I've watched mm. it so. Closely, yeah, well, it there. is a really yeah. modest demand. Yeah, it's nothing. It's modest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's interesting how Albanese and others all talk about it mm. as a very generous mm. demand, and I love Some that. Some people think overly generous. Well, it's I, very, very I, I nice. I love that. I think it's very, exactly, but, it's very generous of the First Australians to say, we want to have a voice part of the parliament to help you mm. make better laws for us, and that's... You know, what would they, be interesting, they could have gone a lot tougher. I, I noticed the other day when they had the welcome to country, Peter Dutton sort of didn't mention it or talk about it. I mean, he said all noticed. the right things, but, but you know, remember, he, he, he boycotted the apology, for which something he subsequently regretted and, and, and explained why he did it. But, yeah, there will be conservatives rattling in his ear, you know, not to back this voice. So, but, I mean, if he were to bring his support to it then that would maximise its chances But we haven't quite heard that yet, have yeah, we? Yeah, and I think that's sort of the next, you know... Well, Albanese will outline on Saturday. I, I think the timing, is it, Patricia? He's going to give us the referendum I don't timing. know all of the announcements, yeah. so I'm not but going to pretend people will hear it. But, yeah, they'll be... Mm. They're not settling yet on it. They, they want to do it in this term. They're going to be careful on timing, actually. Yeah. But there is some procedural things that they yeah. need to do. I know that Julian Lisa will be at Gama. Mm. Now he's the shadow minister. Mm. That's important, obviously. But he needs to get his own team mm. on side. You mentioned Tony Abbott addressing them the other day. He came on RMB breakfast not that long ago. I asked him about this and he ran the no case lines. Now he's He's certainly hmm. still influential in the party among conservatives. Well, he was Mr. Con Mr. Indigenous. He was. He was the minister. He made himself the yeah. minister. Of Indigenous I, I don't know. I think it's I mean, fair we'll, to say that that he he said that, but hmm. there wasn't a lot of action. 
Yeah, but, you know, we can have practical and, and spiritual rec uh, you know, uh, reconciliation. Remember John Howard's deathbed confession in 2007 mm. when he realised, I've been wrong all these years. Just I went, down the, uh, went down the dead alley or something. Yeah, so, yeah, and Peter Hartshaw <laughs> called it a deathbed confession when he was appealing for votes. And, but, yeah, you can do both. It's not a binary thing. And, and we saw how much the apology meant to Indigenous people after years and years of sort of this meaningless opposition to it yeah. and all these scares around it. It happened. It was a wonderful moment, apart from Brendan Nelson's speech that day. But it was... Um, um, uh, and, and it didn't hurt anyone and it just did good. So, you know, I'd just get it done, I would be my view. Yeah, well, I, I do think it's... Uh, I agree with you. I think it's really important and really noticeable how Anthony Albanese is using his prime ministership mm. at every moment mm. to make this point mm. and to basically... Uh, you know, entreat us mm. all to come mm. on the journey. What that 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 speech you gave mm. to the new politicians yeah. at the start of the week? You know, don't don't sit on the porch with regrets. Yeah. Basically, back. Yeah. Be on the be don't on waste the side your time of the angels. Here. Yeah. At the same time, he's got to make sure he doesn't lose focus on the cost of living. Too. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> because that's what people are wanting. It's to fun being prime minister. Quite mm. a bit on, hey. Quite mm, a bit do. on. Quite a bit on for you too. Thanks, yeah, Phil, for good. coming on the party room. Pleasure. Thanks, guys. See you, Phil. We'll move to questions without notice. We'll give the call to the Leader of the Opposition. Thank you very much, uh, Mr Speaker. My question is to the Prime Minister. Order. The bells are ringing. That means it's time for question time. And there's a real question time now too, but ours is, of course. Oh, there's nothing like ours. No, Dorothy Dix is here, Fran. This week's question comes from Luke, who says, between the controversial Election Day asylum seeker boat statement, the attempted cover-up of the shocking environmental report and his absence from Parliament to reportedly make a paid speech, although can I just add there, we, we, we haven't confirmed that, but yes, this is what the question says. Is Scott Morrison in danger of trashing his legacy and ending up a diminished political figure? Or is this just all par of the course for an ex-Prime Minister? Well, I don't I don't think it's actually par for the course for an ex-Prime Minister. I'm actually struck by how many people are saying to me, what about Scott Morrison not being in Parliament? We can't just not turn up for work. People really don't like that. And it's striking a similar sort of chord, I think, as the, you know, being away in Hawaii and not holding a hose mate. So I think it's just going to entrench that kind of sentiment, which is already there. And all the focus groups, we've been talking about this for months during the election campaign, showed that that was a real sense of Scott Morrison. And that presumably explains why the then government got voted out so holus bolus really at the last election. In terms of the other things, I mean generally I think Scott Morrison's legacy will be felt in the fact that they lost so much of their base at this election, that so many of those heartland seats, those blue ribbon liberal seats in Melbourne, in Sydney, even across in Perth in the seat of Curtin went to the Teal Independents in particular and, and to some others. I think I think that will be the the legacy really that will be the thing that trash got Morrison le legacy I'm not sure what do you think yeah I think the the bigger issues are the thing but yeah well it was just a, a bad look that entrenched a view about him and what do you think about him not being here on the in the first sitting week back well it's not a mistake I've made that a, a question and theme of my interviews because I think it's it's really really poor form for somebody who's just been elected into a seat not to turn up there's other ways to doing doing enough I understand to... it's hard it's tough when you've been the leader to go sit on the back bench and you have to deal with that moment but that moment 
Parliament's going to come anyway, right? Sure. Paul Keating resigned, never returned to the Parliament, um, caused a by-election. I think people, uh, you know, they cost money. It's annoying, but people expect that that might happen. Um, we expect that this former Prime Minister will call at some point it quits and call a by-election, but at this stage he's still taking uh, the public funding of being the member that he is. And I, I, I think that it, I think that point about I can't miss a shift and the highly, the big wage that, you know, politicians get compared to people on the minimum wage, I think it's galling, to be honest, and I think people see it that way. I think there's many people who have been defending it, including in his own party. They're not defending it. They're not defending it. They are not quite rebuking him because they're being careful, but they are, you know, no one's a great fan of what he's done, Fran. Thanks for your questions. Keep sending them in. We love getting them, as you can tell. PK particularly loves this bit of the podcast. I do too, of course. You can tweet using the hashtag The Party Room or email your questions to thepartyroom at abc.net.au. And you can follow us uh, on the ABC Listen Up. Never miss an episode, and we are certainly back and roaring to go with the Parliament back. Uh, that's it for The Party Room this week. We are here, but we're off. See you, PK. See you, Fran. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.